Marcus Wesson was the leader of a family cult, which he founded and ruled with an iron hand. He had 17 children with four different women, including his daughters, nieces, and his own mother. He had also convinced his followers that he was God and that they must obey his every command. March 12, 2004, Fresno, California, police received a call from Wesson's brother who reported that several people had been killed at Wesson's home. When they arrived at the scene, they found a gruesome sight. Nine dead bodies, including Wesson's seven children and two grandchildren, had been shot to death. The bodies were found in a bedroom filled with antique coffins. Each victim had been fatally shot through the eye. Wesson's other children, who were not present inside the house that night, survived the incident. The victims ranged in age from 1 to 25 years old. During the investigation, it was revealed that Wesson had indoctrinated his family members into a cult-like belief system, which he used to manipulate and control them. He forced his daughters and nieces to have sex with him and fathered children with them, and he believed that incest was acceptable and even necessary to keep his bloodline pure. Wesson's followers lived in disturbing conditions and were completely isolated from the outside world. They were homeschooled and not allowed to leave the property or have contact with anyone outside of the cult. They were also forced to engage in bizarre rituals, such as drinking Wesson's blood to prove their loyalty to him. Wesson was eventually charged with nine counts of murder, to which he pleaded not guilty. During the trial, his defense argued that the shootings were a mass suicide and that Wesson was trying to spare his family from the coming apocalypse. However, the prosecution presented evidence that the killings were premeditated and that Wesson had orchestrated them to maintain his control over his family. In 2005, Wesson was found guilty on all nine counts of murder and sentenced to death. The case shocked the nation and shed light on the dangers of cult leaders and their influence over their followers. It also led to charges in California's laws on incest and raised awareness about the need to protect children from abuse and exploitation. Submit your questions to ScreamQueerCast at gmail.com or by submitting them to the Instagram at ScreamQueerPodcasts and catch new episodes every Tuesday morning wherever podcasts are streamed. Remember to rate and subscribe. Welcome to the Scream Queer Podcast with Ralph Anthony. The following content contains topics describing graphic violence, strong sexual content, explicit language, and elements that may not be suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome screamers. What is going on? Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you are doing wonderful and as usual hanging in there. If you are new here, welcome and I appreciate you for checking this podcast out. My mind is still blown that people are actually listening in weekly and on a global scale at that. So I just want to give a shout out to all of my international screamers out there. Yes, including you, my American screamers. Thank you so much for listening in. Even if it was only for one episode, I still appreciate you. I still love you. I'm so grateful and appreciative of the feedback and messages I've been getting about the podcast. I would like to emphasize that if you are wanting to share your story or submit a question, you can reach me by messaging the podcast Instagram account at ScreamQueerPodcast or via email ScreamQueerCast at gmail.com. Please note that I keep all of the questions and stories anonymous. It is my vow to you 
to not share any of your submitted content with anyone, even those close to me. I want this podcast to be a safe space, and I want this podcast to have integrity, okay? Now, with all of that said, let's take a stab at today's episode. Nexium was a self-described self-help organization founded in 1998 by Keith Renier in Albany, New York. Initially, it claimed to offer personal and professional development programs, but eventually it evolved into a secretive cult-like group that manipulated and exploited its members. Nexium used a multi-level marketing structure with members encouraged to recruit others and move up the ranks, paying thousands of dollars for courses and workshops. The group's inner circle, known as The Vow, was a small group of women who were expected to be completely loyal to Renair and were branded with his initials. The organization was notorious for its bizarre and abusive practices, including forced fasting, sleep deprivation, and physical branding. Members were subjected to intense psychological manipulation and control, with their personal lives and relationships strictly monitored and manipulated by the group. The cult's inner workings were eventually exposed by a series of investigative reports and legal action. In 2018, Renair was arrested and charged with sex trafficking, racketeering, and other crimes. And in 2019, he was convicted on all counts and sentenced to 120 years in prison. Actress Alison Mack, most known for her role as Chloe Sullivan in the hit WBCW television show Smallville, was a prominent member of the Nexium cult, serving as a high-ranking member of the organization for years. Allison joined in the early 2000s and quickly rose through the ranks of the organization. She became one of Renair's most trusted lieutenants and was given a great deal of authority over the group's members. Mac was particularly involved in the group's women's empowerment programs, which were designed to help female members of the group overcome their personal and professional challenges. In 2018, Mac was also arrested and charged with a range of crimes related to her involvement in Nexium. She pleaded guilty to charges of racketeering and racketeering conspiracy and faces up to 40 years in prison. Many former members of Nexium have spoken out about the harm they suffered while involved with the group, including emotional and psychological abuse and financial exploitation. Heaven's Gate was a religious cult founded by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles in the early 1970s. The group believed in a mix of Christianity, science fiction, and New Age philosophy, and they claimed that they were preparing for the arrival of aliens who would transport them to a higher spiritual realm. They believed that their bodies were merely vessels for their souls, and that by transcending their physical form, they could achieve a higher level of consciousness. The group's beliefs were heavily influenced by Applewhite and Nettle's study of the Bible, as well as science fiction works such as the Urantia book and the book of Revelation. They believed that they were part of a select group of individuals who had been chosen by the aliens to prepare for their arrival. In order to achieve this goal, they lived a strict celibate lifestyle and followed a strict diet and exercise program. The group's strict regimen and focus on self-discipline led to a sense of community and belonging among its members who called themselves the class. However, the group's beliefs also led to a sense of detachment from the outside world, 
and they often refer to it as the world or the planet. They believed that the world was corrupt and evil and that their purpose was to transcend it. The group's most famous and tragic event occurred in 1997 when 39 members of the group committed mass suicide in order to achieve their goal of transcending their physical form and joining the aliens. The group had rented a mansion in San Diego, California, and over the course of three days, they ingested a cocktail of drugs and vodka before covering themselves with purple shrouds and laying down to die. The group's leader, Marshall Applewhite, was among those who died. The Heaven's Gate cult was widely condemned for its extremist beliefs and actions, and its tragic end has become a cautionary tale. Despite this, there are still small groups of believers who continue to follow the group's teachings, and the Heaven Gate's website remains online as a testament to their beliefs. The People's Temple, commonly known as a Jim Jones cult, was a religious organization founded by James Warren Jones in Indianapolis, Indiana in the 1950s. Jones was known to his followers as Father, preached a message of racial equality and social justice, which initially attracted a diverse group of people. However, the group became increasingly isolated and cult-like over time, with Jones exerting almost total control over the lives of his followers. In the 1970s, Jones moved the People's Temple to California and established a commune in the remote town of Jonestown, Guyana, in South America. In November 1978, more than 900 members of the People's Temple, including children, committed mass suicide or were murdered under Jones's orders at the Jonestown settlement. This incident, known as the Jonestown Massacre, remains one of the largest mass deaths in modern history and shocked the world. The People's Temple was known for its mix of Christian and socialist beliefs, as well as its emphasis on racial and social equality. Jones preached a message of communal living and encouraged his followers to give up their possessions and live in the People's Temple community. Jones was a charismatic leader who exerted a great deal of control over his followers. He claimed to have supernatural powers and was known for his fiery sermons and hypnotic speeches. He also had a reputation for punishing those who opposed him, including physically assaulting and psychologically manipulating his followers. The People's Temple was also known for its political activism, including its support of civil rights and its opposition to the Vietnam War. However, as the group became more isolated and Jones' behavior became more erratic, it became increasingly difficult for members to leave. In the weeks leading up to the Jonestown Massacre, concerns about the group's practices and Jones' behavior began to flourish. Congressman Leo Ryan visited Jonestown to investigate these concerns, and several members of the group expressed their desire to leave with him. However, when they attempted to leave, they were ambushed at the airport, and five people, including Congressman Ryan, were killed. Shortly thereafter, Jones called for the mass suicide-slash-murder of his followers, claiming that the government was about to attack the settlement. He convinced his followers that the only way to avoid being tortured and killed by the government was to commit suicide by drinking a cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. More than 900 people, including Jones, died as a result. The Jonestown Massacre remains one of the most tragic events in modern history and has been a subject of numerous books, documentaries, and films. Children of God 
The Children of God, also known as the Family International, is a controversial religious group that was founded in 1968 by David Berg in California. The group has been associated with various illegal and immoral activities, including child sexual abuse, prostitution, and incestuous relationships among its members. The Children of God began as a Christian evangelical movement in the late 1960s, with Burke proclaiming himself a prophet and claiming to have received messages from God himself. The group quickly grew in popularity, attracting a large following of young people who were searching for meaning and purpose in their lives. The group's teachings were based on a radical interpretation of the Bible, which emphasized the imminent end of the world and the need for its members to prepare themselves for this event. Berg preached a message of revolution for Jesus, encouraging his followers to break free from the constraints of society and engage in aggressive evangelism. One of the most controversial aspects of the Children of God was their practice of flirty fishing, which involved female members of the group engaging in sexual relationships with non-members in order to attract them to the group. This practice was used as a tool for recruitment, and some members were even encouraged to become prostitutes as a means of funding the group's activities. The Children of God also encouraged its members to engage in sexual relationships with each other, even if they were siblings or other close relatives. This practice, known as the Law of Love, was justified by the group's belief that sexual relations between family members were acceptable if they were done out of love and in the context of the group's teachings. The group's practices and teachings were highly controversial and they were frequently accused of brainwashing their members and engaging in abusive behavior. Many former members have come forward with stories of physical and emotional abuse, as well as sexual abuse and exploitation. In the late 1970s, the group began to face increasing scrutiny from the media and law enforcement agencies, leading to a series of raids and investigations. Berg himself went into hiding and the group underwent a series of transformations in an attempt to distance themselves from their controversial past. Actress and activist Rose McGowan, known for her roles in 1996's Scream, Jawbreaker, and the television show Charmed, was born into the Children of God cult in 1973. Her parents were members of the group and she spent the first 10 years of her life living in various communes around the world. McGowan has spoken publicly about her experiences in the cult, which she describes as traumatic and abusive. According to McGowan, she and other children in the group were subjected to sexual abuse and exploitation, including being forced to engage in sexual acts with adult members of the cult. She also alleges that the group encouraged members to use drugs and engage in other harmful behaviors. McGowan has said that she was able to escape the cult with the help of her father, who left the group and took her with him. In recent years, McGowan has become an outspoken activist and advocate for victims of sexual abuse and misconduct. She has used her platform to speak out against the culture of silence and complicity in the entertainment industry and has been a vocal supporter of the Me Too movement. McGowan has also written a memoir, Brave, in which she discusses her experiences in the Children of God cult and the impact it had on her life. Today, the Children of God have rebranded themselves as the Family International and claim to have renounced many of their past practices. However, the group continues to be viewed with suspicion by many, and their controversial history continues to be a topic of debate and discussion.
On this episode, I have decided to address some listener-submitted questions and requests that I have been sitting on. I have always valued any engagement questions and stories that you all have submitted, but I have danced around some questions that I have had a hard time answering. And I've answered some of these for previous episodes, but they didn't make the cut or I just deleted them because I was fearful of what... It always goes back to what people think of you. As much as someone says, I don't care what people think of me, you always do to some extent. But some of these will really allow a peek into my life some more. Uh, I think so far the 10 journal entries episode was probably the most transparent that I've, I've been and I've allowed myself to be. But like everyone, we all have layers, right? Like there are layers to everyone's story. So consider this episode a behind the scenes, get to know me more featurette that you'd find on your favorite movies, DVD, special features menu. So just know that I am going to go all in and I will not hold anything back. I have been very entertained with your honesty and sex questions slash relationship advice. You have mentioned that you quit a full-time job that was toxic. Can you share what exactly happened and what do you do now? I'm so... Uh, it's it's so mind-blowing to me how how much easier it is for me to discuss sex so explicitly and so openly. Then when I'm asked about my professional career, I become sort of uncomfortable and I tend to avoid these questions and it's not that I'm embarrassed well to an extent I just we live in a world where people are constantly comparing careers and how much so-and-so makes I make more than you so that makes me better than you I'm above you on a scale or something like that and it shouldn't really be like that i i have recently started to believe that we shouldn't be judged based off of what we do for a living but based off of how we treat one another especially strangers like you have no business knowing how much a stranger makes but with the world we live in today people like to share on Facebook, they'll post pictures of money on on their Instagram, Snapchat stories, whatever. So when asked about this, I always kind of tense up and just like, God. But I can't answer this question without giving somewhat of a backstory. So let's go back a little bit. So prior to me graduating high school, I pretty much had everything in line to pursue a education in San Francisco at an art school. I was really into graphic design and after a representative from that school brought a workshop to my high school, I was more than inspired to want to pursue this. So I ended up getting an acceptance letter during this time. Um... But I had just been dumped by my first boyfriend, and when that happened, it threw me and my plan off track, or if you want to get more dramatic, it just threw that train right off the cliff, like that train derailed and went off the fucking cliff. And because it's, it's, you know how we are, like most people, when they get their, their first girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, it's, it's your first, like, person that you're sharing these intimate feelings with so when they break up with you it's like oh my god my world is over my life is over and that's exactly how I felt I felt as if my life was over so guess what happened to that offer letter I completely dismissed it I ignored it and I didn't end up going I kind of ruined my last few months of of high school I was 
I was a really sad boy. I never went to prom or wanted to participate in anything really. My life and plans just kind of came to a halt. So after high school, I was sort of lost and was not really doing much. So cut to about a year later, it was the, I want to say the spring of 2010. I needed to do something, so I got a job. I had worked in November of 2009 at a very popular department store. Like, the biggest. If you're thinking it, it is exactly what it is. It was an absolute hellhole, and after two weeks, I left. I said, no ma'am, absolutely not. We're not doing this. So, go back, or go forward to the spring of 2010. I scored my first real job at a somewhat popular beverage chain and no not the coffee one although I did have a a short run there too I believe it was three days but I also quit that too and then I went back to the one that I stayed at for for years so I'm here working at this juice bar uh next you know it's 2013 and I'm uh I'm a shift lead so I'm comfortable thinking I'm getting top dollar I wasn't here comes 2015. Now I'm a general manager. Oh, what? 2020's here? I'm now a training store manager. The next step was probably some form of a district manager. I had a, I had decent health insurance, a 401k, paid holidays, and I was creating my own schedule. The life, right? Why was I so sad and unhappy? Well, well, looking back the pay was an absolute joke here i am dedicating my entire life to a company that gave absolutely no fucks about me especially my mental health i was constantly called texted on my scheduled days off i was constantly working my dad would compare me to being like a fucking doctor like i i was always on call I would have to schedule myself by myself to save the company money. I had lines out the door working alone or understaffed and while also being expected to call and train and do secretary work in the the back, do admin paperwork, all that, all that manager stuff. I was passionate about the the company at, at, at one point. I mean, I really loved the, the fucking culture. It was colorful. It was, it was fun. But I wasn't loving myself because I couldn't see my worth at that point in my life. I thought this was as good as it's going to get. And when there was mention of of raises, there were a ton of excuses. And the breaking point for me was during COVID, the amount of abuse myself and my my old team would experience. Uh, It's 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 a sin it's a fucking crime the mental and verbal abuse on a daily basis can just really burn someone out and at this point i'm having full-on panic attacks no social life i was going to work and coming straight home i was drinking a lot and eating very unhealthily and the weekend before I quit, I was off. Not even 20 minutes into my my Saturday, I like wake up to have a, an, an amazing day. I'm like, it's my day off. I'm gonna do all kind of like this and that. I get a call from my my boss that and like yeah, like that was when I completely just I was like, I'm I'm done. I'm fucking done. So I broke down on Sunday, went to work on Monday, and the whole day I was contemplating on going through my decision. Uh, going through with my decision, uh, excuse me, uh, one thing about me um, is that when I have my mind made up, it's it's a wrap. So I finished off my, my shift that, that day, left all my work items, wrote an email, and never went back. I cut off all ties even after the owner tried to reach out to me. I did not respond. And that was a day that I realized my worth and that no amount of money is worth you being unhappy. No amount of money is worth you killing yourself for a fucking beverage company. And at the end of the day, everyone's replaceable. I didn't have a plan. I had some money saved, but it really wasn't enough for me to survive for a long period of time. I just, 
I just kind of jumped off of a ledge and it was really scary. And you know what? It's, it's just, it's really sad because even now, now, two years, going on three years after the pandemic is, is, is gone, I still see TikToks and these videos of these people having panic attacks or just bawling on camera because of their 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 job i think today i saw a, a dunkin donut one it was so sad and so triggering and it just it really should show you that these companies don't care about you if you're going to work for them first thing you need to do is know your worth and stand up for what's right don't just go and roll with the fucking punches okay like these places suck you in and people tend to get stuck doing the job of four people while getting paid as one. And I know there are naysayers out there rolling their eyes at stories like like this because of this one saying. I think this saying is so outdated, but the you should go to school and get a better career. And it's it's just, it's you can do so much now without having to pay thousands of dollars for college and shout out to all of the success stories you are all amazing getting your bags but school isn't for everyone nor can everyone afford school i know some of the most successful people who got where they are today without school but but yeah like going going back to to my journey i I'm very fortunate to have had the support and the close tight group of individuals that have have helped me. I had to become sort of a, a hustler to make money to get by. Um, now I am self-employed doing what I can, but this is not my 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 end. Like this is not my success story. I am still working and figuring out what I truly want out of my life and what I have done it differently yes I don't condone quitting off the bat without some sort of plan but I did and I'm sorting through it and it's 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 just crazy because I was having a conversation recently thinking back to my little self and what he wanted to be and I wanted to be a horror author and like a like like a Stephen King and or something like that. I used to write these really long horror stories when I was a a child, but stopped because you know you grow up and other things other things happen and you get interested by other things. But although that's not exactly what this podcast is, this is sort of an extension off of that and this is something that I am extremely passionate about connecting with and entertaining people is something I've always loved which is kind of ironic because I'm actually quite shy and I have social anxiety but closing out this out this question I'm not saying this is my new career like I said I'm still sorting it out but Leaving a prison of a job allowed me to get back in touch with my creative side and just know your worth and pursue your passions, find a balance and fight hard and put in the work. Is the podcast ever going to be visual? Love your voice, but would love to see you more. This is a question I've been avoiding (laughs) quite a bit and my reasoning behind that probably has to do with the fact that I am terrified of incorporating video into this right now um I don't want to have to go through hair and makeup whenever I want to be on on camera and I'm not gonna go on camera without going through hair and makeup honestly I feel like dealing with the camera or streaming my recordings would create a rift in my in my schedule more. Uh, from the very beginning, I didn't really have any intention to have a video podcast. I've always been inspired by radio shows like the classic Art Bell, Coast to Coast show, and podcasts that rely heavily on 
the listener to pretty much tap into their own imaginations and visualize everything. I also don't encourage watching a podcast while driving, okay? But a number of listeners mentioned how they commute or drive while listening in. And even I listen to my to my favorite podcast while, while, while driving. So I'm not really watching anything. But I'm not saying never because we never want to do that, okay? We never want to say never. But maybe sometime in the future, I'll do a subscription-only access to video versions or something. But... As of right now, I'm enjoying the production aspects of it, just being audio with the sound samples available to me and music I've created for my intros and outros. Do you think some men in the gay community can be cutthroat? From my experience, I have worked in the nightlife scene and have seen my fair share of guys just being completely nasty toward one another. You should probably have a seat, dear. <laughs> oh my god. Um I'm not sure if if I've mentioned this, but I uh, I really like to go out to clubs. I've never really liked to. Uh once in a while they're cool, but I'm not I'm not big on on club culture. A bar with some live music, good conversation, being able to actually hear who I'm with is more my thing. In real life, like I said, I'm very shy and it's really hard for me to trust anyone new. So I've always been very awkward and uh, very closed off while going out, which can be a misconception, I know of me being standoffish or stuck up. In my opinion, the scene can come off very uh, clicky and and there can be false assumptions out there so I don't need to be seen acting like a fool, intoxicated in a club. But I wouldn't necessarily say it's just gay male behavior as, as childish behavior and drama can stem from any community to be honest with you but i think this is why i have very few gay friends because as a community trying to be united it's not and that's really sad to sit here and say that because there's a lot of hate and judgment toward one another and this level of uh degradation and this I'm better than them energy that comes out of that has always overwhelmed me and and turned me off. False narratives are created and it becomes a game of telephone pretty much. It's it's elementary school. And do I wish these places can be safe for everyone with every type of background, color, any type of career path? Yes. But that's a perfect world, dear, and we're not in that. But we do have a lot of work to do still. I'm sure we can work to some better, better lifestyle. And I don't see these issues getting better because ego is probably the biggest factor here. Yes, we all have egos and some of them are bigger than others and a lot of people out there like to have their ego soothed so don't get me wrong though okay don't get me wrong i'm not here shitting on my own community i love i love my community i love how far we've come i just i feel like we can all be a little bit nicer to one another because there are amazing people out there who i've hung out with i've approached and even built up confidence to say hello and they've been great but going back, I find the club life very draining and meaningless for me, in my opinion. And I'm not judging you if you go out every weekend, but just don't invite me. <laughs> uh, can we just get to a, the part where we just support and root for one another? We have enough battles to fight, and each other really shouldn't be one of them. 
Listening to the journal episode, you mentioned how you were losing weight to fit in. What was that journey like? Can you share some of your weight loss journey tips? Oh my god. Uh... Before I answer this question, I need to address that I in no way, shape, or form condone any form of weight loss practice that can potentially harm oneself, okay? I was about 300 pounds. Um, I would eat a lot. Just eat and eat and eat. Uh, When going out to eat, I would basically eat for two people. Fast food, uh, junk. My after-school snack would be two homemade sandwiches, as many chips from a big bag as possible, and two cans of Coke. And I felt I felt some form of comfort from eating this much. And I would also eat while laying down in bed because it was comfortable. <laughs> I was just living the life, okay? but I can assure you that I was probably on my way to diabetes or some form of uh, like heart disease or something. And what really pushed me to finally say enough was the fact that I felt ugly, unwanted, laughed at, and I was just always the butt of everyone's fucking joke. It got to the point where I was, I mean, I still make fun of myself now, but I believe back then I was a little bit more harsh on myself uh, just to try and get that attention and to get people to laugh at me would make me feel some sort of like comfort and feel special. But then uh, I think I went to the to the the doctor for like a, a checkup or something. I think I was playing hooky from from school and my dad took me. And I go in there and I stand on the scale and the nurse asks me, this will always stick with me because it, it cut really fucking deep. She said, man, those must be some really heavy shoes you have on there. And I was just like, this fucking bitch. I, first of all, if you're a nurse, doctor, whatever, you really shouldn't be talking to your, your patients like this. Okay. Like that's so fucking rude. And I think I also got comments from the the doctor and it just it really made me feel like shit okay and I think this is why to this day I dread going to the fucking doctor I just I don't like feeling like a like a like a child where strangers are reprimanding me about x y and z and it feels very degrading to me and there's a way to talk to someone about getting healthy, okay? Like, you don't have to make all these little smart remarks, these rude jokes, these rude comments. Like, there's just no need for that. So, when I started out in, uh, I think I started in the summer of 2008, I was doing it healthy. I was eating high protein, uh, low-fat foods, eating less to, to none of what I used to, and what I used to being junk, and yeah, I, I would work out for two hours a day. I isolated, only hanging out with, with family that, that whole entire summer. And when I would get hungry or crave something late at night, I would turn on the food channel. And that would oddly help me curve those those cravings and not, not binge anything. So then school starts out and I'm fairly smaller than before, but still kind of thick. And I'm loving the attention. I'm still watching what I eat at, at, at this point. Sugar-free this, only indulging slightly. And come early 2009, I start hanging out and going out with the wrong crowd. And I got my first boyfriend. And I just went wild, honestly. I went completely wild. I resorted to only eating a full sleeve of fat-free saltines and like a huge glass of fat-free milk for breakfast. Then I would probably go to Subway and get like a foot-long turkey sandwich with just turkey and 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 veggies for for dinner. That's it. Uh, or if, if I didn't do that, I would just get another sleeve of crackers and drink a big glass of milk again. But, I mean, that couldn't have been healthy, right? Uh, God, that's, that's awful. I could not... Now I could not survive like that. Like, I would be mad all the fucking time i would be so hungry so when i wanted 
something like like a candy or something like bad like a like the chips i would chew it and then i would spit it out which i'm pretty sure is not good and i got into cocaine for a moment uh ecstasy i was drinking a lot and at this point i'm still working out i believe i even resorted to working out uh for two hours from 12 to 2 p.m and another two hours from 8 to 10 p.m i was crazy and i got down to about 165 pounds which is not an ideal weight for someone with my height um looking back i like i see photos of myself when i was this size and i i look so sad and malnourished like 165 does not look good on me and uh cut to today i still have a weird relationship with food i definitely have my my moments but i think i found a balance uh somewhat and i i know for a fact that i can do better now but i'm at a weight that's healthier for me and i just i fucking love food so much but i still have that that little voice in the back of my head guilting me and judging me whenever i over indulge or even even have like a regular meal i do have to admit that i despise working out now i just i don't know what it is or what happened but i absolutely dread it so if you're out there and you're still listening and you have tips of motivation please send them my way that is my biggest struggle right now is getting myself to work out but as far as like weight loss and you're just starting out just try to find a fucking balance whether it's eating as healthy as possible throughout your week then choose a day or two to indulge but don't keep yourself from having these foods because that can lead to just like binging and things can get really really unhealthy and scary so just good luck how do you handle the pressure of having to put out content so often Do you pay attention to the numbers? As for gathering topics, I'm going to talk about uh, for each episode. um, That's that portion's pretty simple. I mean, I do my research, I take notes, and then summarize everything into a script. My guest host episodes are a little bit different when it comes to that. Whereas those episodes, I'm just jotting down notes because those episodes are supposed to to go more of like a conversation. Uh, so, but that's pretty much all easy. Uh, where the pressure comes from is the recording for me. I don't know why there's an anxiety while recording. I, I, I get based off of my surroundings, if you, if you will, I need to seriously get a sound booth because my neighborhood is so loud. So I have to find certain times of the day to record. And then if that gets in the way of my, of my like work schedule, it's like, damn it. But, um, I also have to worry about what I ate that ate that day <laughs> because my stomach sometimes makes some crazy noises and this beautiful mic of mine I have right here it picks up everything it picks up everything uh it picks up my eyes blinking like it's it's so it's so like sensitive and 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 good and but I just I just want the audio to be top notch, which I think I've I've mastered at this point compared to my first dozen episodes sheesh i mean uh don't even don't even like can we just like discard those but (laughs) this show has improved so 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 much and um but as for post-production and music i absolutely love doing all of that i love putting together these little mini movies for everyone especially the listener submitted stories um and when it comes to numbers, I am not going to sit here and lie and say, oh, no, I never focus on that. Because if anyone does say that, they are lying. OK, podcasts, especially independent podcasts, are love children that have been created in our little brains and then vomited out. OK, yes, the true crime and some stories are out there uh, for me to obtain but being able to get that info and then add your your spin and and take on it and then distribute it in your own words and in your own way is creating to me 
So on those weeks when an episode is not thriving like I, I had envisioned it, I get a little sad. But what I have, what I have, what I've learned is I have to snap myself out of that and just continue to move forward. And as far as so the social media aspect, don't put all your eggs in this basket. Social media helps to an extent, but I can tell you right now, if I was swinging my penis around and charging for my fucking nudes, I'd attract a lot more engagement on social media. And I'm talking to you lurkers, okay? But overall, just stay focused. And like I said, keep pushing your content. Push, 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 because someone out there is going to love it. I'm going to go ahead and just wrap up the episode right there. If you guys love this episode, please, please, please reach out to me via Instagram at ScreamQueerPodcast or via email at ScreamQueerCast at gmail.com letting me know your thoughts. Until next time, I will talk to you all on the next episode. I love you so much. Bye! Does true crime make you cringe with satisfaction? Does having a space to openly discuss sex entice you? What about horror films and paranormal encounters? Maybe a little laugh to start your day? Listen in every Tuesday where I, Ralph Anthony, share my thoughts and input on all things true crime, sex, horror, LGBTQ plus topics, and paranormal. Now with more horror and sex with listeners submitted questions, 911 calls, and the very spicy listeners submitted hookup horror stories. Scream Queer Podcast, available on most podcasting platforms. Scream Queer Podcast, new episodes every Tuesday. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs>